God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, are you there? God, do you even hear me when I pray? A question for you is how do you interpret all of the good and bad circumstances in your life? If you're a Christian, are you an experiential Christian? What do I mean by that? Do the life circumstances change your view of God? Do you uh, have different feelings for God and thoughts about God and questions about God based on what happens in your life? Have you ever or do you question God's goodness, uh, his faithfulness, or even his holiness when you see trouble in this world or trouble comes into your life for someone else that you love? Do you think that God is not near because you're facing hardship? Where does your heart go when everything in your life is falling apart? I mean, everything is falling apart. Where does your heart go? From your viewpoint, in your view of God, Do you think that God is doing nothing? Are you quick like Habakkuk was to call God out and to question God's holiness and to ask him what he dare is doing? Or I pray that all of us have or that we do learn to be like Habakkuk, that we would learn to pray and wait and trust the Lord who is sovereign over all. Maybe I shouldn't ask you this question this morning, but does your faith need to be stretched? You're like, no, don't ask that question. I don't want to answer that one. Is your view of God being questioned in your life right now? Well, as you look to the words of Habakkuk this morning, some of the themes in the book in those three chapters are God's sovereign character, uh, the, the thought of evil in the world being unchecked, uh, the theme of justification by faith uh, that we read in the New Testament, it came from Habakkuk, as it's quoted by the Apostle Paul, as uh, justification by faith is God's uh, only way of salvation. As we look at Habakkuk chapter 3, the um, scriptural truth we see this morning is this, in Christ you have great reason for hope and joy no matter what life circumstances come your way. Look with me at chapter 3 of Habakkuk. We'll look at verses 17 through 19. This is the end uh, of the book of Habakkuk. It says this in verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and and the fields yield no food, The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. The word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to your words this morning through the prophet Habakkuk, and we are in need 
of your help. We are in need of your strength for life. We are in need of your comfort and peace in the midst of trouble and hardships and an evil world. We need you to open our hearts and our minds, our ears, our eyes this morning to the truths of your word, that we would not question your holiness, that we would not question your goodness, that we would not question your plans for our, uh, our life. For other, we uh, desire to grow in our faith. And I pray that you would cause the believers in this room to grow in spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we pray you would open the truths of the word to us this morning and that we would live by them. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you would give your life for ours and that you would provide forgiveness and salvation. We praise you, Jesus. Bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. As you come to Habakkuk, if you haven't read it, my encouragement would be for you to even sit down this afternoon and read it, because you'll see as we look at this last text, it just happens to be that this week is a Thanksgiving celebration on Thursday, and so as you see Habakkuk giving praise and thanks to the Lord, this would be a great text for you to read, uh, to think about how the Lord God has worked in your life and how you can praise Him the word Habakkuk, or his name, means embrace. And it comes at a time when the nation of Israel needed comfort. They uh, needed to know the comfort and peace of God when the nation is being uh, hearing from the other prophets that God has sent that he will bring destruction upon the nation. He will pour out his wrath on his nation. He will bring punishment and ruin to them, and they will go into ca captivity. Think about that message that they've been hearing some of the other prophets who are living like Jeremiah during the time of Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk, as you read here, he has great concern for the nation of Israel, much like if you read the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, Jeremiah says this in verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. That's the angst that you hear in Habakkuk as he questions God, as he realizes later, oh, these questions aren't the best questions to ask a holy God. But you hear an angst for him, for the people of God, just like Jeremiah. And as I read that in Jeremiah this week, I prayed, Lord, would you put that upon the hearts of your people at Discovery that they who are believers that have the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they believe and have faith in Christ, they couldn't but speak the truths of God in a wicked, evil world, in a nation, in a city that we live in. You see, when Habakkuk writes and when some of the other minor prophets write, it's a moment of crisis. Have you had a moment of crisis in your life, individually, or for your family, or with a group of people? That moment when every single thing seems to be troubling and falling apart and it was at the worst time of your life. As that crisis is there, this is a time of crisis. Habakkuk looks around and if you read in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, specifically he calls out God and says, God, what are you going to do with your people? What are you going to do with your people, the nation of Israel? They have rejected your word. They have turned away from the covenant that you made with them. Habakkuk points out in chapter 1, he looks around and all he sees among God's people, 
not among the pagan nations, but among Israel, God's people, he sees injustice, he sees violence, he sees wickedness and points out that it's increasing and going unpunished. And he calls out to God and says, God, why aren't you punishing your people? Why aren't you taking out those who are breaking your laws? Why aren't you correcting them? And he challenges them and he questions them in a sense of saying, God, your plan is no good here. And so God answers him. God answers him back and surprises Habakkuk and says, Habakkuk, I am going to deal with my people. You know what I'm going to do? Those Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that pagan nation, I'm sending them as my army to come and take out my people and take them into captivity. Now imagine that. I mean, Habakkuk is shocked. It would be like God telling us today, I'm sending China or I'm sending the Muslim nations to come and take over the United States of America and put the Christians in jail and to persecute them and to kill them and make them slaves. I mean, that sounds crazy, right? Not really. Because God directs Kings and nations, he puts them in their places. He called the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, his army that he sent among his people. Instead of God chose to discipline this nation and those who fear him, who are not standing for the truth of God's word, then he can direct whatever group, whatever nation, whatever people, whatever armies against this nation that seems untouched to accomplish his will. That's why as we've been reading through the Minor Prophets, We need to pray, and we need to pray for revival. We need to pray that the gospel would be declared and change the hearts of people. But again, Habakkuk hears this from the Lord. He's like, no, Lord, that's not the plan. You can't send the Chaldeans. You can't send the Babylonians. They are a pagan nation which are more wicked than even your most sinful people. I mean, that's his opinion. And God sees all sin as wickedness. He sees it the same. And yet... He's going to send the Chaldeans to punish the nation of Israel in Habakkuk's mind who seem to be more righteous than them. And so what God tells him to do, he says, I want you to trust me. I want you to wait. I want you to be quiet and wait and see my plan. And as I read that, I'm like, how many times have I not done that? I have not waited I have not been quiet. I have not prayed. I have not sought the Lord. I just like, God, here's the plan. Do this, 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 and this, and then we'll be joyful and happy. And he's like, Paul, that's a ridiculous plan. That's your plan. That's not what I have set out to do. And he tells Habakkuk to wait. And so we come to chapter 3, and we see that Habakkuk learns because verses uh, 1 through 16 is his prayer. And in it, when you read it this week or this afternoon, you read that he prays that God will fulfill the plan to bring the Babylonians. You're like, how could you pray for that? Because he told Habakkuk, that's my plan. And so in quietness and in peace, Habakkuk prays that God's will would be done. And then as we read verses 17 through 19, he ends his prayer with a song, with instructions to the choir master saying, hey, have the choir sing this Have the musicians that play these stringed instruments do this. And you think, wow, what a, I don't know, strange book. 
But when you read these three chapters, this is so needed for you and me today. Because I don't even have to ask how many of you face trouble in your life. Some of you are like, I'm in the midst of trouble right now. I feel like Habakkuk. I question God's goodness. I question his faithfulness. I question him because this, this, and this has happened in my life, and I know he did it to me. And what happens is we join Job in the Old Testament who questioned God as well. And later God corrected him and said, Job, you're wrong. Here's who I am, and here's what I do, and here's my glory. And so I've been praying this week that God would use Habakkuk and these few verses in this song to work upon our hearts today because we so need it now. Look at verse 17, the first point. What will happen to me is the question. What will happen to me? He says, though the fig tree, verse 17, should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. I grew up in the Central Valley in California, millions of acres of oranges. And one of the things that happens every so often is you get a number of days during the winter that gets below freezing. And some of you are like, well, I wish I could go live there or bring that heat here. Because it was like, uh, uh, it's like, I don't know about you, but uh, it's been cold the last few weeks. And uh, my heater in my truck is not working. So it's like you got gloves and a hat on, you got a blanket on or whatever. It's like you're freezing. Well, here's the thing. In California, if you get the freeze for a few days in the oranges, what happens is it ruins the crops. And so you got wind machines going. They used to use smudge pots that they would have these big things with a pipe on it. And they'd fill it with oil and they'd light them on fire and they'd burn all night between the orange groves and you'd wake up in the morning there'd be this dark smoky haze all over so that they could warm it enough to save the fruit. The problem is after a couple days of freezing, the fruit's destroyed. And if the fruit's destroyed, do you get the picture? There's no harvest. And if there's no harvest... There's nothing going into the packing houses. There's no money coming to you. There's bills that are due. And if your livelihood is a farmer, especially oranges, there's nothing there. No blossom, no figs. The fig trees in Israel, some of them, they bloom twice a year. The first crop is not as good as the second crop. And so you'll have figs that are on as blossoms for the next one. So what he's saying is there's no fruit on the vine now or blossom. That means there's no fruit to come. He says um, the fields have a problem. The olive trees, there's no olive oil. The fields yield no fruit. So there's no grain, there's no flour, there's no bread. The flock of sheep are cut off. There's no sheep. The herd of cattle are not in the stall. What he's pointing to is this is disastrous trouble upon the nation of Israel. And he says, no matter what, talks about praising the Lord. But this is terrible. This is tragic. It's the result of maybe war, of drought, of famine. But that God's the one who removes these things from the nation of Israel. And so we can be like Habakkuk, and when all the trouble arises in our life, we can then say, God, what is going to happen to me? God, where are you? Do you even hear my prayers? When the Word of God tells us that He's not far off at all. There's a temptation for each of you and myself 
to think that God is unjust when we see evil and wickedness in this world. Some of you read and watched the news this week, and you saw evil and wickedness not in other nations, but in this nation, in this state, in maybe other places that you know other people, and you say, why is this this way? It's because of a fallen world. And there is wickedness and there is evil. And if you're a Christian at one time before you came to faith, you were wicked and you were evil, an enemy of God. That's why we see what we do. But yet we still question God. God, you're a good God. Why would you do this or why would you allow that? You ever heard that before? Yes, no? You ever heard anyone question if God's really good or not? I won't ask if you have. Maybe some of you have. But it's a question you hear all the time. Why would God send that upon those people? Why would that happen to those children? Why would God do these things if he's so good? This is the questions in that sense of what Habakkuk is asking. And yet he's like, no matter what happens, I may question what happens. The summary is I will trust the Lord. Your question this morning is this. If you're a Christian, uh, the question for you to ask is, am I an experiential Christian? Meaning I respond to God based on everything that happens in my life. Because if that's so, it's a point to you that there is some spiritual immaturity in your life. And what we want to pray is that verse 19, which is the mature Christian, arises in our hearts. That's what you should pray this morning. Lord, verse 19 there, would you make that a a, a fruit of my life by your work cause me to grow in maturity in Christ? But your temptation this morning is to question God based on what he does, what he allows, how he is working. And let me just say this. When you allow circumstances to define who God is instead of his word, it will never work for you. It will never. That's why we go to the Word of God. I was reading in jo- about Joseph this week. Read Genesis, I, I think it's chapter 30 through 50. So Joseph, his dad loves him, gives him the coat of many colors. His brothers love him, right? For those of you who know the story, his brothers hate him. They want him dead. They see him coming. They take him, t- take that coat off him, throw him in the pit. They're like, we're going to kill him. One of the brothers is like, no, don't kill him. And so they sell him to a group taking slaves to Egypt. And they take Joseph down to Egypt and they find Potiphar and they sell Joseph to Potiphar. Meanwhile, the brothers have gone home and told dad, hey, he's dead. Put some animal blood on his coat. Dad's grieving. Joseph goes down. He's serving Potiphar. He's doing everything great. And Potiphar's wife daily, sleep with me, sleep with me. Come over here and sleep with me. And every time he stands and says, no, that's an evil thing. She grabs a hold of him and puts him in a trap and he runs out of his jacket. Potiphar throws him in jail because she lies. He's in jail for a period of time. He meets two of the servants that are in jail that serve the Pharaoh. They have some dreams. He interprets them. One is killed. The other one goes back to work with Pharaoh. He says, remember me. The guy forgot him. However long later, Pharaoh, finally, he has a dream, has some dreams, and he's like, 
hey, someone interpreted it, and they're like, oh, there was this guy in jail one time. And they bring Joseph out, and he says, well, Pharaoh, here's what your dream means. And Pharaoh's like, okay, you're number two in, in the whole nation here. You're going to make sure that all of the grain is stored up over the next seven years so we're ready for the famine. And then the famine, his brothers come looking for food. And then eventually there's a restoration and his dad comes. And at the end of his life, his dad has already passed away. And he gets to Genesis chapter 50. And the brothers now think, oh no, dad's gone. Joseph's going to kill us. And I've always wondered, what did Joseph think while he was in prison all those years? God, where are you? God, I've been faithful to you. I didn't sleep with Potiphar's wife. I've done all these things and you got me in jail. Doesn't say that he thought that, but I've always thought that. Wondered what I would think if I was in jail in that position. But yet you get to chapter 50 and God gave Joseph an understanding of God's plans and God's work. It says in Genesis 50 verse 19, after the brothers are like, don't kill us. He says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? For good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, he saw as he looked back and go, this is why I went to jail. This is why I was sold into slavery. This is why God had me here so that we could do this plan and get all this grain and all these people would be saved. He's like, this is God's plan. So don't worry, brothers. There's already forgiveness. But the fact that he pointed to God's plan over all his trouble is something that you should pay attention to. Because some of you, as I look around the room, even in the four years I've been here, have had trouble in your life. And there may have been or be the temptation to question God's goodness and his holiness. And my prayer is that you are not an experiential Christian, but you are a Christian who's grounded in their faith. Abraham was tested. Moses was tested. Rahab was tested. I was reading of, of Jehoshaphat, who was tested in her faith in the sense in which she saved her, her, her relative Joash as a, as, a, as a boy from evil Athaliah, who was trying to kill off all that would be heir to the throne. Uh, you read through the word of God, and people were tested in their faith, and God built them up in their faith as they trusted in him and his sovereignty is, you, or is your view of God's sovereignty, his providence, his holiness, his justice at stake daily in your life because you're waiting to see what's going to happen? If so, that's a point, if you're a follower of Christ, of immaturity. And you need to pray that God would grow you in maturity. And if you're not a Christian, you're going to always question him. And you need Jesus to save you and to give you faith in him Who's the one who spoke this world to existence? The one who saves his people from his sins. The one has risen from death to life and is returning one day in all of his glory. You need him. Because he will change your view of God's work in and among this world. Look at verse 18. The second point is, no matter what, I will rejoice. Can you say that this morning? Is that upon your heart? No matter what, I will rejoice. Some of us don't feel like that. Some of us don't feel like that. There is emotions that are real. And many times our emotions are changed and moved by what we see. 
And sometimes by what we see is actually not truthful or correct. And so we just see something and we automatically apply it and emotions run wild and we blame God. Yeah, Habakkuk says, look at verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. No matter what, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my what? Salvation. What are the things that are troubling you so greatly that are literally sucking the life out of you right now? What trouble are you in or have you gone through? What problems have been in your life that you may even be angry with God this morning? That you may be even cursing Him this morning? That you may be blaming Him for everything that's gone wrong and say, woe is me. As I read back through the book, the first part of Job, to think of Job losing everything that he had. Imagine losing everything you have and he lost all of his children the same day. Put yourself in Job's shoes. It says when he heard all the trouble, he instantly was in sorrow and grief, but he fell down and worshiped God. True faith in Christ will enable the believer to worship him even in the midst of your greatest sorrow in life. And our prayer should be that God would build our faith like he did with Habakkuk to move Habakkuk from questioning God and challenging God to saying, okay, I'm gonna wait. In peace, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna trust that your plan is way better than what I think should happen. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, verse 18. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Turn to the book of James, chapter 1. Many of you were here at the beginning of the year when we went through the book of James together. And we studied it on Sunday mornings. And we spent the first few weeks just in chapter 1 looking at these verses here. James helps us understand what Habakkuk is trying to point out for us through God's word there as it's prophesied for us to read this morning. James chapter 1, verse 2, some of us don't like this verse when it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." When you read the first chapter of Habakkuk, you picture a person who's being tossed and driven by the waves and the wind, being in the midst of the Bering Sea in the worst storm ever, and those waves that are 50, 70 feet tall, and they're crashing, and the wind is blowing. That's the picture for some of us in the midst of the tumult of all the trouble that goes on. That's how we feel. James says, count it all joy. You're like, Lord, I can't count it all joy. I just lost everything. How am I supposed to be joyful today? But he says, count it all joy. 
And James, as we study, says, if you need wisdom, ask, because it builds your faith. And that faith being built will help you in the midst of the storm. And so we should always pray the Lord would protect us from being prideful that we think we've arrived as a Christian, that we think we have it all down just because I know all the books of the Bible. I've read through it. I finally got through it. Whatever, don't ever, I mean, pray that we would never become prideful, that we think we know everything about God, because when that test of faith faith comes crashing upon you, then you will want to test God, and you will want to question Him, and you will want to accuse Him and say, God, and you will want to shake your fist at Him and say, you are not a good God. And so pray that God will protect us from pridefulness, that we've arrived. A famous text that many of you and many Christians, our non-Christians know, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, there's a problem here with this verse and how many people read it. Many Christians will use this even with non-Christians. Hey, God's going to work out everything good for you in your tragedy. Is that what it says? Is that what chapter 8 says? Is that what all of Romans says? No! Romans chapter 8 says, and we know that for those who what? Who is it? Look up there on the screen. Who, who is it? Those who what? Love God. Does it say those who don't love God? Does it say that? What's it say? Those who what? Love God. The apostle Paul was writing to Christians If you have faith in Christ, he's writing to you. He's not writing to non-Christians. He's saying don't apply God's truth to Christians, to non-Christians. Don't tell a non-Christian who's in the midst of the trouble of their life, God will work out everything for your good. Some of you know what I mean when you see these things on social media. It just gets thrown out there in the name of Christ. It's ridiculous. It's asinine. It's not truthful. So don't lie to people. You read this as a believer, and we know that for those who what? Love God. All things work out together for good. And you're like, well, but things are not working out good for me. I love God. Well, look back at verse 18 of Habakkuk. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my what? Salvation. Only the person who has salvation in Jesus Christ can take any joy in the midst of any trouble and any problem in their life. That's why when you read Romans 8, 28, that applies only to the believer, only to the Christian. Don't dare promise it to a non-Christian because what we're doing is we're trying to help them feel better when all we're doing is lying to them. They need salvation in Jesus Christ so they can join Habakkuk and say, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And so the natural question then is, well, how am I saved? How do I know if I love God? We're reading these things about faith in God and trusting Him. Well, here it is, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's on the screen. Let's read it together. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Next verse. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
So if you are one who can take joy in your salvation, you've come to the understanding that grace of God, that faith is actually a gift as we read. Go back to verse 8 there, please. The one previous to this. It says, and this is not your own doing. It is a what? gift. Faith is a gift. That means that you don't conjure up faith. God gives faith to believe in him. And so when we think, I have conjured up enough faith, I did this, I was at the end of my rope, and I just believed one day, that's not what scripture tells us. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10, I think this one's up there too, verse 17. So faith comes from what? Hearing, and hearing through the what? The word of Christ. Well, what is that? The gospel. The good news. And so, in the midst of your trouble, as an enemy of God, in the midst of your sin, and you were hardship, and whatever it was, someone preached the gospel to you. A friend shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what's the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ is that you, an enemy of God, who has sinned, born with a sin nature, passed down from Adam, will die in your sins if it's not for the work of God. And Jesus Christ, God's Son, as we celebrate Christmas coming up, was sent fully God, fully man, the only one who could go to the cross and be nailed to the cross for your punishment, for your sins. And he would take your sins upon himself and he would bleed and he would die and his blood that is shed can cover over the sins of his people. And Jesus Christ was placed in the tomb and on the third day, what happened, church? He arose. He came back to life. God the Father raised the Son by the power of God the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven. He's ruling, he's reigning and he's going to what one day? Return in the clouds of glory. And for all who love God, that he works all those things out, will be with him for all of eternity. And so again, how do I know I'm saved? Gift is a faith. Romans 10 says that it comes from hearing. And if you go to actually a few verses previous in verse 9 of Romans chapter 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from what? The dead, you will be saved. So we confess Jesus as Lord. We repent of our sins. We acknowledge that he is holy and, he, and we are not, and we need him to save us. That's how you know. And then when you are saved, as we were, the men's study this week, we were in 1 John chapter 5. You want assurance of salvation? Go read 1 John chapter 5. Actually, read all five chapters of 1 John. The person who has faith in Christ can then join Habakkuk and say, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And I pray that if you've come into this place today and you have no joy because you're not saved, I pray that you do believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And once you are saved, if you're a Christian here, you are constantly in this process until the day you're with Christ that you're growing in your faith. And so God is doing a work constantly. He's worked before you were even born. And he sends things in your life. Sometimes they're trials. Sometimes they're troubles. He allows things like Satan was allowed to go after Job. God is in complete control and he will not lose his people. And so if you're one of his people, he can't lose you. He won't lose you. Satan can't steal 
uh, you out of his hand, and he will see you through to the day that you're with him in glory. And we rejoice in that. But while you're here on this earth, Jesus says you will have what? Trouble. You're like, Lord, why? Just take me today. I just want to be with you today. The Apostle Paul talking about how it would be better to be with the Lord today, but he has me here. So if you're in this room and you're breathing right now, it's because God has you here for his purpose and his glory. Therefore, in the midst of your trouble, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of all of the problems that you have going on in life, is God still good to you? Amen. Is God worthy of your praise? Can you rejoice even in the worst trouble of your life and take joy in the God of your salvation? Two things that come to my mind briefly here. Acts chapter 5, a passage here, it says in verse 40, is speaking of the, of the apostles here. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. I mean, imagine you being in a world and let's say this country changes and you as a Christian stand for the name of Christ and you get beaten, you get thrown in prison. They're rejoicing that God would count them worthy to go through that. I'm like, man, I'm not there yet, Lord. Hold off the persecution. Build my faith first. But you know what? The Lord uh, promised the Holy Spirit to give his people well, the words that they need when they stand before the courts, to empower them to stand for his name. And I've thought many times, if there was a point at which someone was going to take my children and they wanted to kill them and tell me to denounce Christ, I'm like, Lord, I I could not do that unless you empower me to stand for your name. I know I would just fail. I would fail because of my humanness. And so we need Christ more than ever to stand for him in the midst of it like the apostles. Often I visit people in the hospital and um, even this weekend got to visit someone in the hospital and you think of pain, sickness. Some of you have been in the hospital, had surgery. Some of you have been in before. You're facing death. There's anxieties. There's fear. I can remember uh, one of my daughters when she was very young. We were in the hospital for a few days. You begin to wonder, God, what's going on here? Nine years ago, my wife was in and out of the hospital during a year period, and she had really bad health. And you're like, am I going to be a single dad the rest of my life with all these kids? And you begin to question and wonder, and there's fears that take over your mind, and you can't sleep, and you're going, what in the world is going on, God? This is not my plan. And I found this passage of Scripture to be great comfort as well as a great challenge. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be what? Anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to who? To God. And here it is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So no matter what, I will rejoice. In the last point, verse 19, briefly, it's no matter what, I will trust in God. No matter what, I will trust in God. And again, verse 19 would be one for you to study this week as the fact that it's a great picture of Christian maturity. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know as I know, you can change your behavior and yet that doesn't make you spiritually mature. You can fill in the blank. I no longer do this anymore. I'm over here now. That doesn't make you spiritually mature in Christ. Some of you know this. I can memorize scripture. I know the Bible well. I have a great understanding. And yet just that understanding doesn't make you spiritually mature. Now, don't get this wrong. We grow in maturity through the word of God as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and does a work to soften our hearts, to move our hearts, to change our hearts, to strengthen us in him. But doing religious things, changing your behavior makes no one spiritually mature. That's why Jesus Christ is the one who sanctifies us. The Holy Spirit works in us. That's why our prayer every day is, God, change my life, work in me, sanctify me because I can't do it. And so I pray and hope that you could take just a deep breath this morning and go like, oh, my checklist. I don't have to do all that right now. The Lord's in charge. Yes, he can work through those things, but he's working. Jesus told the Pharisees this in John 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Yes, read the word of God. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to change your life and to cause you to grow in him. But do not mistake knowledge as something that's going to make you mature in Christ. Look at that last verse there in Habakkuk. Verse 19, God the Lord is my what? Strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on my high places. The Lord does the work. The Lord is the one who strengthens us in the day of trouble. And in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, it says this passage, which is quoted by the Apostle Paul, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his what? Faith. Paul wrote of this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by what? By faith. The apostle Paul used this in other books that he wrote. Martin Luther as he nailed those theses on the door of Wittenberg and as the Protestant Reformation began, the signature point of this is that the righteous shall live by what? By faith. Your faith in God being built up by the work of the Holy Spirit is this picture of the righteous shall live by faith. If you go back and read Habakkuk chapter 3 in verse 16, he's like, even though I tremble in all these things, my lips quiver. He says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. That is a picture spiritual growth and so as we 
close with this, I want you to think for a minute. Your suffering, your distress, your trouble in this life is short-lived. Your trouble and problems are so small in comparison to the glory of God and His plan and His will for your life and His kingdom and His glory. And you may not agree, but your trouble that you go through is worth it because God's purposes are fulfilled in them. You may go bankrupt, you may lose your house, you may lose your job, you may break your bones, you may uh, fail a test in school, your spouse may die, your child may die, you may get cancer, you may get attacked, you may get smeared, you may get persecuted and insulted. But here's the thing, every single moment of your sorrow, your grief, your pain, and your misery is working in you to build your faith. And God does that. You don't. That's why you trust in him. That's why you call out to him. That's why you rest in his mercies and his grace in your life. All of the trials are working in you to grow your faith, to bring glory to God. Therefore, do not give up. Isaiah chapter 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or worry. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they... But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not what, church? Faint. Father, I pray that you would help us, especially those who feel faint this morning, those who are in the midst of the worst troubles of their lives, and even those who may be facing small things in their eyes, whatever their place is today, would you protect us from being experiential Christians? Would you make us people who trust in you, who rejoice in you, the God of our salvation? Would you continue to do this great work in us for your glory? And while we're here, would you help us to keep our eyes off of us and keep them on Christ? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Jesus, amen.